Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothes became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they slept, and they kept silent and no one in those days um, and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Charlie. <clears throat> if you didn't get a little bulletin as you came in today, on the back side there's some sermon notes here. So if you're a note taker, if that helps you to focus and dial in, I encourage you to do that. We also have some pens around somewhere. Um, if that's a distraction, then just listen. But we believe that the sermon is a time for us to engage with God's Word with our hearts. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pause now as we come to Your Word. Lord, we have heard You speak to us through the reading of Your Word. We've spoken to You through our prayers. We've sung praises to You, glorifying Your name. And now, Lord, we... We open our hearts and we pause and we would ask that you would come and speak to us through your word, that we would be changed. I pray that you would open in the words that, the language that you use, open the eyes of our hearts through the power of your spirit that we might behold your glory this morning, Lord Jesus, so that we would be changed. Come and be with us in Christ's name we pray, amen. So i got a question for you kids as we get started here. If you could be like anybody, if you could become anybody, who would it be? Like a hero, a sports star, a musician. Who would you be if you could become anybody? Who would you most like to be like? Bo? Batman. Okay, there you go. He's striving to become like Batman. Okay. Steph Curry. Steph Curry. It's good. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. KD up here. When? Todd Gurley. It's a nice one. I like that. Especially. Right here. Close to the heart. Close to the heart. Gray. Mike Trout. He's even got his Mike Trout jersey on over here, man. You got another one? Russell Wilson. It's another good one. All right, good stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting how, and this, this is certainly true whenever we're little, that we, we have these heroes. We have these people that we see glory in them. We see something absolutely glorious. Maybe it's a, a talent they have. It's a way that they play a game. It's something about them, what, what they're able to create. We see glory in people. 
and we're just taken by that glory, and we want to chase after it. We want to not only see it and behold it, we want to like imitate it. We want to become like it. Um, one of the things that I know about Gray, you know, Gray said that he's, uh, you know, Mike Trout. Oh, he just wants to be like Mike Trout. So what does Gray do? Gray has got a Mike Trout jersey on today. When, when Gray is playing baseball, he's trying to mimic Mike Trout. He wants to hold his bat in the same way. He wants to run in the same way. He wants to act like him in all that he does. And that's what we do just intuitively as human beings. When we behold glory, there's something that's just innate in us, just something that's woven into our hearts that we want to chase glory. We want to behold it, and then we want to imitate it. We want to reflect it. And that's a part of the very core of who we are and what we've been created to be. It's true of every single human being. You cannot get away from this. It's why we run after all the things that we do. But here's one interesting thing as we think about wanting to be like these people. If you think about it, you can't really become Mike Trout by simply wearing his jersey, right? You can't become Mike Trout simply by holding the bat in the same way or uh, running the bases in the same way or all that stuff. That, that's not what makes Mike Trout Mike Trout. You've got to look back through a whole life that led him to become what he became. You know, whenever I was uh, growing up, and this is going to date me a little bit, growing up in the 80s, you know who everybody wanted to be like? Michael Jordan. Man. Just dominant. You know, greatest, I still think, even in the day of LeBron, the greatest basketball player to ever live. And amen. Yeah, we got an amen in here. Nice. I mean, he did things that were just amazing. And often he did it when the pressure was the greatest, when it was all on the line. But listen, everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Everybody wanted to play like him, look like him, wear what he wore. And there was an interesting, I remember this, this commercial. Maybe you remember this commercial, very popular commercial. It was a Gatorade commercial, and it had this really catchy little tune to it. And the name of the commercial was Be Like Mike. Do you remember that? Maybe that, for some of us, that tune comes back into your mind. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Right? I, you're like, please don't sing. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the commercial is just showing, is, is showing Michael Jordan with like these kids and young people, and they're all drinking Gatorade. And then it will show other clips where he's like hitting a game, hitting shot, a uh, winning shot. And then he's like on a, just a, a street court with some kids and stuff. And you get the message as you're going along, and they're singing the song, I want to be like Mike. What would it be if I could be like Mike? It's all about, I want to be him. And then you get to the end of the commercial, and here's the really clever line in the message, the subliminal message. Be like Mike, drink Gatorade. What? <laughs> Can you really become Michael Jordan by drinking Gatorade? No. <laughs> Really, drinking Gatorade doesn't make you like Michael Jordan in any way, right? Did you know that the reality is really similar whenever we talk about becoming like someone? For followers of Jesus, and we've been talking about this, we've been in a discipleship series and we're talking about what is discipleship. Did you know really what discipleship is? And this, we've been defining it in a number of ways, but discipleship is simply becoming like Jesus, that's all discipleship is. It's becoming like Him. Did you know that that's actually the goal of discipleship? 
Did you know that's actually the goal of salvation? I think, especially in the Bible Belt, we think the goal of salvation is to go to heaven when I die. The goal of salvation is to be able to one day go to heaven and see my loved ones. Let me say, those things are glorious, and those are certainly precious gifts of salvation. But that is not the ultimate goal of salvation. You know what it is? That we, each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus, would one day be like Jesus in the fullness of His humanity. That's not, I don't think, normally what we think as the goal of the Christian life. I think we lose sight of that very easily. As the Apostle Paul says, that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. The Apostle Paul, uh, I'm sorry, C.S. Lewis, very different than the Apostle Paul. C.S. Lewis once had this great line. He said, the church exists for no other reason than to bring people into Christ. Very important, very important phrasing there. Bring people into Christ and to make them little Christ. It's his way of putting exactly what we're talking about. That the goal of the church is to make each and every one of us like Jesus. But in the same way that you can't become like Mike Trout just by wearing the jersey or holding the bat in the right way, you don't become like Jesus simply by doing religious things. You don't become like Jesus simply by using the right spiritual language, right? Being able to talk about spiritual things or even knowing the right things or saying the right things. You don't even become like Jesus just simply by doing what Jesus did or attempting to, like loving our enemies and serving other people. That's certainly a, a, certainly a fruit of becoming like Jesus. But you see, you the only way to become like Jesus is for there to be inner transformation of the person. In other words, you can't just take on some of the behaviors and become like Jesus. There must be inner transformation that flows into a life that becomes like Jesus. And that's what we see in our passage today. We're going to see how does that happen? How does that inner transformation happen in my heart so that I actually become like Jesus in every way? So let's jump into our passage here. Uh, Luke chapter 9. So we jumped ahead last week as we're looking at the resurrection. Now we're jumping back into our study of Luke and we're going to go a number of more weeks here. And here we see right off the bat in verse 28, just look at verse 28, and this is what Luke tells us as he introduces us to this piece of his story here. Verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Now, one of the things that we've seen in Jesus is that the heart of his ministry was not simply to preach, it was not simply to go around and to heal people and to perform miracles and all those things, he certainly did those things, but the heart and the focus of Jesus' ministry was to pour his life into 12 men. That, that's what Jesus really deeply cared about, that's what he poured most of himself into. That was the aim of his life, is to make disciples of 12 men, to pour himself into them. And the particular way that he did that 
was not simply by teaching them different things here and there, by having studies or whatnot here and there, but was to do life with them. He walked with them. He brought them into His life. It was life on life. They walked together. They became a part of every area of His life. And Jesus would bring them along. He would bring them along as He did life. He would bring them along as He did ministry. He would bring them along and He would say, here, watch me do ministry. And He would serve. And then there were other times where He would say, now let's go and now this time you're going to do it. And then, you know, you're going to fall flat on your face and you're going to struggle. And then after it, I'm going I'm to teach you at that point. And then at certain points, he would say, okay, now you're, you're just going to go out on your own and then come back and we'll do some teaching. You see, they were his apprentices. That's really what it means to be a disciple. They were apprenticing to Jesus. He was training them life on life, inviting them into his life, bringing them along in all that he did. And that was how Jesus went about discipleship. But even within that group of 12, there were three men, the three that we see here, Peter, James, and John, that got even more focus from Jesus. I mean, they experienced the most intimate moments with Jesus. Many times Jesus would pull away these three and they would go off and they would pray together or they would be with God together. Or he, they would have teaching together. And that's a part of what we see here, is Jesus brings them away up to the mountain to pray all night. We see him with these special three in his group that he is investing in and discipling in. Now, here's what that means for us. We've talked about, right whenever we started this series on discipleship, that at the heart of what it means to be a disciple is that you are someone who's making other disciples. Remember Jesus said that right off the bat, he called his disciples and he says, come on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of people. It's a new identity. That's what it means to be a disciple. No longer are you just about your life and your priorities in your life. Your new priority becomes Jesus' agenda in your life. It becomes what he is up to. It becomes his pursuit of people in your life through you. So if you are a disciple, it means at the same time you are someone who's called to make other disciples. Now that doesn't look the same way for each and every one of us. It looks different according to where God's put you, according to the gifts that He's given to you. But the fact remains, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to make other disciples. So the question for us as we look at this is, like Jesus, because He's our model for discipleship, who are your three? Who are your 12? Who are the people that God has put in your life? Maybe you've not even recognized that yet, but who has God put in your sphere that He's calling you to invest in, to invite into your life, to teach, to follow Jesus together, to bring them into your life? It's a great question. And, and for some of us, that might, it might be in your home. If you're a parent... The three better be in your home. But we're also thinking, who's at work? Who's in my my workplace? Who's in my neighborhood? Who's in my community? Who's God put right here in my sphere that He wants me to be concerned with making disciples? So the question becomes after that, okay, discipleship is what we're called to. So how is we're looking at Jesus? Jesus is our model for discipleship. What was... The, really the heart of what Jesus was trying to do as he discipled. 
What was he trying to lead them to? What was he trying to bring them into? And that's really what this passage is about. Because what happens in this story is all about what Jesus is going to give to these three men, to these three disciples. He brings them up onto this mountain for this experience, which is critical for their discipleship. Now just think for a minute, we're just going to walk through this this scene. Just imagine what this experience was like. This is called, it's been called the transfiguration here. Okay, so we learn here, they go up on the mountain, they're praying at night. It's probably in the middle of the night, the disciples are struggling to stay awake and they're falling asleep. And we read this in verse 29, as he was praying, as Jesus was praying, now get this, just imagine, imagine you're there and you're seeing this, you're experiencing this. The appearance of his face, that's Jesus, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Whoa, what a, what a, what a picture here. All of a sudden, as Jesus is there, a glory, a visible glory begins to emanate from Jesus, and they see it. You can imagine you would immediately wake up, right? And it's, it's very mysterious, this description here, the appearance of His face changed. We're not told exactly what it looked like, but we know that from this scene that there was just blinding light emanating from Jesus. If you're familiar with the Scriptures, you know that anytime someone comes into the heavenly throne room, anytime we get a description of God's glory, usually light is a big part of that description. Just inexpressible, blinding light emanating from who He is. It's a picture of His his holiness and His worth and His beauty. And here they're perceiving that in Jesus. His clothes even become so bright he describes them as a flash of lightning. You ever seen a big bolt of lightning? Especially if it's at night. You know, that bolt, it's just there for just a second, but it is like blindingly white. Not many other things that, that, that is that bright unless like the sun. You know, something you can hardly even look at. That's a part of what he was saying, just even his clothes are blinding white in this moment. So they are beholding a visible glory in Jesus. But then this, the second description, verse 32. Uh, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they... I'm sorry, verse 30. Back up to verse 30. I got ahead of myself. Two men. Look at this. Another description of this experience. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Now, interesting here, Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? Well, one... And now think, Peter, James, and John, these are Jews. They grew up just being taught the Old Testament Scriptures, being taught about Moses, taught about Elijah. Moses, uh, if you think about the Old Testament, the way that it was described, especially by Jews in this day, is the law and the prophets. That was the summation of all of their Scriptures. And so the law was given through Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, was seen as the greatest of all the prophets. And so these are two of the greatest figures in the Old Testament, and yet here they are with Jesus. They're they're with Jesus. They're they're speaking with Jesus. They're in awe of Jesus in this moment. A huge picture of Jesus being the whole point and meaning of all of the Old Testament. 
It's a part of what they are seeing, Peter, James, and John, in this moment. And so they're, they're speaking with each other about his, what it says, departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. What's interesting there is the Greek word is actually the word for the exodus there. Luke is using that on purpose. They are speaking with Jesus about his exodus. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know the exodus was the defining moment of the Old Testament. It was the moment where God rescued his people out of the slavery of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. The whole peace was considered the exodus. And yet here, they're talking to Jesus about the real exodus. In other words, all of that that was taking place was a pointing ahead to what Jesus would do in his cross and resurrection. That's the exodus. All of the Old Testament story of the exodus was meant to point ahead to Jesus rescuing his people out of the slavery of this world and bringing them into the new creation, the real promised land. And so here, they're talking with Jesus about that and about how the real exodus is about to come. And that particular piece of the experience of Peter, James, and John is a way of them saying, oh my goodness, Jesus is the center of all of it. All of the story is about Him. But it's not over. Something else happens here. So Peter is seeing this. He's experiencing this. They immediately are perked up. They see it. Uh, He sees them beginning to leave, and Peter, of course, you know, blurts out what everybody's thinking. He's like, hey, uh, can we put some tents up? Can we preserve this? He didn't want it to be over. It's so amazing. Have you you ever had an experience like that with the Lord where His presence and His love was so real, and you're like, I don't want this to be over. I don't want it to stop. That's Peter in this moment. But then this happens in verse 34. While he was speaking, a cloud enveloped them. Now remember, in, throughout the Scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, God would normally manifest His presence through a cloud. He led His people through the wilderness through a cloud. He, uh, his presence came in the Holy of Holies over the, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, in the cloud, it was called the Shekinah glory. God's glory would be contained in a cloud. And yet, Peter, James, and John are experiencing that in this moment. He, Luke actually uses cloud three times to emphasize that. They're there, this cloud envelops them, and then a voice from the cloud. This is the voice of the Father. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the audible voice of the Father. If you have, Come and talk to me after the service, okay? This only happens a limited number of times in the Scriptures as a whole. In, in, the, in the course of thousands of years, it just happens a few times. But yet here the Father speaks to these three men out of the cloud. And what does the Father say? This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. And then the moment is over. What do we make of this experience? You see, the whole picture of it is all about Jesus. It's the whole thing. Even the voice of the Father, He's saying to them, look, look at Him. Don't even get caught up in the cloud. Look at Him. Focus upon Him. 
He is the point of the whole story. Behold His glory emanating from Him. That is the whole thing here, is seeing the glory of Jesus. That's the whole point. So here's what I want to say to us about discipleship. How does discipleship happen? How are we actually transformed? And it's this, beholding the glory of Jesus. That's what's happening here. Jesus has brought them to this moment that they might behold His glory. That's what changes us. That's what transforms us. That's what's taking place in this, in this picture here. What, what changes us to be like Jesus is not religiousness, it's not religious activity, it's not knowing the right words, it's not even trying to do the things that Jesus did. That's not how we become like Jesus. First and foremost, we are transformed in the image of Jesus as we behold His glory. You see, throughout Scripture, you know, the reality is glory changes us. Throughout the Scriptures, how, how are we changed? Isn't that a great question? How am I changed? You know, throughout the Scriptures, we see the very point, the very thing that changes someone from within is beholding God's glory. We see that in so many places. We see that, you know, Moses in, at the end of Exodus, he is before the Father and he says, listen, show me your glory. What a great prayer to say to God, I need to see your glory. And God's glory passes by him and Moses is changed in the moment. We're changed by beholding glory. It's what we're made for too. We said at the beginning, you know, we're always chasing after glory and, and seeing glory in different things, but all that glory is reflected glory. But you know how it just rules over our life? You know, all the things that we chase after, whether it's our, our, our heroes, whether it's the reputation of other people, whether it's the things that we have, a, a shiny car, a, a nice figure, a new outfit. I mean, why, why else do we put all of our energy into just curating our social media image? It's all about glory. Why do we get infatuated with the things that we get infatuated with? Why do we get enslaved by the habits that we're enslaved with? Why, why does pornography come and just get such a grip on our heart? You see at the heart of all of it, it's glory. We're hardwired for glory. But the problem is, we're chasing glory in just merely reflected glory. And it enslaves us. Lord, part of what we see here is that the way that we're changed is by beholding the real glory. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, he says, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. As we behold His glory, we are transformed into glory. It's part of why we say, as a church, our mission begins with enjoying Jesus. You know, as a church, we talk a lot about mission. We hope that we're a church that is on mission in Dade County. We want to be a church that is serving the poor, that is doing justice, that is loving our neighbors. We want to be pouring our lives out. We want to be sharing the gospel. We want to be bringing people to Christ. As a church, we want to be so active in mission in our community but we are adamant about this. It does not start with mission. It starts with 
enjoying Jesus. That is the fuel for mission. That's what drives mission. What do we mean by enjoying Jesus? We mean by seeing His glory and being satisfied with it. Beholding Him until our hearts come to prize Him and delight in Him. If you've ever done that, you know that it creates an energy of mission. It's the fuel of mission. I was with a, a good friend this past week, and he was just, you know, we were catching up, and, and I said, how you doing? Tell me how you're doing spiritually. And he said, well, to be honest, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm not... I'm not engaging in the way that I want to. I'm not engaging my children spiritually. You know, we're just, life's just so busy. We've got so much going on in our life, and I'm just, I'm neglecting these just critical things in my life. I'm not investing in my kids. I'm not leading them spiritually. I'm not leading my wife spiritually. I'm not investing in her. In fact, we're just kind of living alongside each other, and I'm not investing in any, anybody in my life. And I'm just struggling with those things. I'm struggling to, to serve and be on mission. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were excited about something in God's Word? When was the last time that you saw Jesus in Scripture and your heart got excited about it? And he said, you know, it's been a couple years. And I said, how are you going to lead your wife spiritually if you're not excited about Jesus in your own heart? How are you going to lead your kids spiritually if you're not bringing something that you're experiencing? So you can't do it. We often try to do that. We often go try to do mission or spiritual things or serve and all those things. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm just saying, where's the energy for that? The energy is enjoying Jesus. If He's not moving your heart, if He's not thrilling your heart, if you're not beholding, oh my gosh, you are more valuable and glorious than anything in this world. If you're not tasting that, what do you have to give? You might think because I'm a pastor and I get up and do this thing that I'm like Mr. Super Spiritual Man. I got news and it might be disappointing for some of you. I'm not. I'm not Super Spiritual Man. You know what? I wake up in the morning dry. Dry. I wake up in the morning selfish. I wake up in the morning sometimes, I don't want to go do the day. I don't want to serve anybody. I want to serve me. That's default in my heart. How do I go do ministry? How do I go serve other people? How do I go do this stuff for a living? That's hard. How do you do that? The only way is I've got to be beholding His glory continually. And running after that. Or else, i got nothing to give. I'm dead meat. It's so easy to just start faking it. Unless you are enjoying it and tasting it and experiencing it, you've got nothing to give. Discipleship and transformation begins with beholding the glory of Jesus. And so the question becomes, so how do I do that? Right? Do I need a mountaintop? It's like, how do I get here? It's kind of hard for us to have this, right? How are we going to have this experience? Do I need a mountaintop experience? And let me tell you something, you don't. In fact, we've got it better than the mountaintop. That's what Jesus actually says. It's going to be better. How do we have it better than the mountaintop? We have His Spirit within us. 
We have the body of Christ with which we're a part. Think about that. The body of Christ, the physical presence of Christ in your brothers and sisters. We have access to the Father, the throne of grace in prayer. And we have His Word breathed out through which we encounter the risen Christ. We got it better than the mountaintop. And so the question becomes, am I making use of those things? Are those practices in my life? Am I devoting myself to those things? To fellowship? To being with other believers and opening my life? Am I, am I spending regular time in prayer with the Lord? I'm not just talking about blessing the meal or the, the, uh, the prayer before you go to sleep, you know, that is the way to go to sleep, right? At least for me. I'm not talking about an occasional kind of bump in the Scriptures. I mean, are you seeking Him in Scripture? And when you're going to those disciplines, is it to behold Jesus? Are you going there saying, I'm not just checking a box here. I'm not just... I think oftentimes we think of these disciplines and spiritual practices as like things I'm supposed to do. And so, I, you know, I haven't been in church much, and so I need to get back there because I need to get that... Check that box checked. I need to. I need to do better about the word. I need to get in the word more. And I'm supposed to be doing that. I ought to do that. Listen, if that's how you think of those, just stop it. You're not. You're not going to do it unless those things become means and avenues of meeting and beholding the glory of Jesus. They will do you no good. They'll do you no good. It is through giving ourselves to these disciplines, to these practices, to these habits where daily I'm coming after Him, I'm seeking Him in His Word, I'm with Him in prayer, I'm gathering with His people. It was so interesting, the other day I I read this article by Roy Exum, you know, he writes for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, and he was just talking about his growing up experience, and he talks about remembering growing up, he grew up in First Press Chattanooga, and he said, you know, when I was growing up, uh, I remember 10 years straight, they would, at the end of each Sunday school semester at that church, they would bring all the kids up who had perfect attendance at Sunday school and, like, give them a little medal. And he said, for 10 years straight, I got that medal. And I'm like, what a different day. Like, we hear that and we're like, Pharisees, legalists, how dare you be that devoted? Right? He said that whenever he was on a trip with his parents, if they were on the road at 9.30 a.m. on a Sunday, you know what they did? Got off at an exit and found the nearest church. What? Talk about outer space. What about for us? You know, an overly good day or an overly rainy day, and we're out for Sunday, right? I mean, if it's a beautiful day or if it's raining, it's going to be tough to get there. We need like right in the middle. We hear that kind of devotion and we think, oh, that's got to be bad. That's like legalistic. You're getting too serious about this. Listen, these disciplines will do you no good unless you give yourself to them. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning all day long. But it is not opposed to effort, but rather works hand in hand with it. Let's ask just a couple quick questions just to bring this home in application for you, and then we'll have a second to discuss. 
Here's a question, and just, just for you, are you regularly, daily, are you daily engaging with the disciplines of grace in your life? Do you have a pattern? Do you have a practice that is getting you into His Word and getting you into prayer? When was the last time you were excited about something that you saw in Scripture? And if you are, are you beholding Jesus in those things? Is that why you're coming to that? Is that your aim and goal? I need to see Jesus here. I need to enjoy Him. I need to be with Him. And then the the final question is, who are your three? Who, Who are you bringing along? Who are you bringing along in beholding Jesus? Now, if you, if you can't answer those top two, it's going to be tough to answer the bottom one. So let's just stop there for just a minute. Just have a minute just to discuss that with each other. How does it strike you, challenge you, disturb you, anger you? It's a challenge, discipleship. Let's hear from each other. Thoughts or reaction? Carrie, break the ice for us. Uh, I, I think a couple different things. Um, just from what you ooh, that was loud. Just from what you just said, I think I my, my first reaction is, um, how do I choose the three? Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like this stress of, like if I'm not. Well, I think just a response of, like, I need to control this uh-huh. and choose my three people and, yeah. like, yeah. Get, give all my time to that and do yeah. this thing. And, mm-hmm. and I just don't think, I mean, I think it's different numbers for different people. Yeah. But also, besides that, just, like, it may change a little bit yeah. um, through different seasons. Yeah. And so... Um, Anyway, that was just a thought, just like yeah. noticing that in my own heart, my yes. immediate desire to be like, okay, I'm going to follow the rules, yeah. <laughs> and that'll get me there, um, yeah. and that's, that's not it. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing was just like how freeing it is for me to think about the fact that, um, that my mission comes from enjoying Jesus first, mm-hmm. and that when I don't, when I'm not enjoying Jesus, mm-hmm. I have nothing to give. But yeah. when I am enjoying Jesus, I have everything to give. Yeah. Right. Not just Jesus, but all of myself. Yeah. Um, all of my gifts and my love and who I am as a person mm-hmm. is freed when I'm enjoying Jesus yes. to give as a gift to yeah. others. Um, while when I'm not enjoying Jesus, I can't actually give others the rest of me either. Yeah. So I think... That's just a really good reminder for me, especially in the season I'm in right now. Yeah. Um, Because there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of temptation Mm. to to minister out of pure effort on my part. Right, yeah. Rather than than stepping back and taking time to be with my Lord Mm. and then entering into the conversations and the tasks that I have um, and the relationships I have from that point. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Grace? Um, 
I think really similarly to Carrie, that feels very freeing. Another thing that um, was I was thinking about when she was talking is that, like, I have to trust that the Lord will reveal his glory to me, and I think often I don't. Mm. Often I'm like, okay, well, I'm supposed to obey him, and that's the part I can do. And the glory part is like, he might do that, but he might not do that. Yeah. And so either I'll think like he's not going to reveal his glory to me or I have to like sort of like trap him mm-hmm. and like get his glory, like get mm-hmm. him to reveal it yeah. to me. Um, and it it just strikes me that so much of that is like so closed in on myself and so like my perspective is that there is, like, not abundance, and there is not glory, and there's not beauty, the yeah. beauty of the Lord to be seen, yeah. but that I have to, like, create it or get it, or it's, like, this resource that's so limited. Mm. Um, and I think the beauty of this is it's, you have to, like, step out in the, in the trust that the Lord will show up, and he will reveal his glory, yeah. and then you can act out of that, like, it does not begin at all with you, which is yeah. really scary, but also very freeing. But, like, you do have to, it, like, begins on the trust that the Lord is, like, his glory is bountiful. It's not a limited Right, yeah, thing. yeah, 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 that's good. Thank you, Grace. Rachel. I just want to say... Um, for me, discipleship sounds like a really intimidating word, um, whether I'm being discipled or discipling somebody. But I just want to say, in reality, for me, what I've experienced is I've been discipled really well just by friends doing life with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that we don't have to be intimidated by that. Um, yeah. Just friends sharing truth and speaking it into your life yeah. um, is just really sweet. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. That's good. Which sounds a lot like Jesus' method. Just that friendship, walking with, speaking in. Um, I feel like one of the most quickening things for my spirit and my uh, soul is to like dwell and know the truth that that God the Father is like. Um, he, his heart's just so good to me because of his son, Jesus. It's just so, I've, I'm, my, when I wake up, I'm very similar to you, but you could probably relate to this, but it's also like this, just this big shame-based view of God. It's just, I'm just so ashamed to approach him, you know? Mm, yeah. if, if my heart even feels dirty or anything, I'm like, I can't. He does, he's not going to want me. Yeah. He's not going to want, he doesn't want the worship of a dirty worshiper, yeah. you know, or so on and so forth. So anyways, so when I'm able to remember it, when I'm able to dwell on it, to think of God as a kind, loving father, who there's nothing I can do to take away that kindness and love mm-hmm. for me. It's, uh, and it's because of the, this weird thing that Jesus, when he sees me, he sees Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you know that, and and when it when it whenever that's my vision, it's like shame kind of goes out the door because it's like 
He's not looking at what I've done per se. Yeah. He's looking at his son, Christ, and he, his love for me is powerful because yeah. of that. So what, what you just did is you just preached the gospel to yourself. You rehearsed what's true, because oftentimes what we feel is very different than what's true. That we feel shame, we feel guilt, all of those things, which are different from conviction. We feel that, and we think, well, that must be so. And so what you have to do is intentionally preach the gospel to yourself until your heart begins to believe it. Yeah. And, and we, we have to learn how to do that. And let me just say, if, if you don't know how to preach the gospel to yourself, if you don't know how to behold Jesus' glory, because that's a, that's a tough, like, how-to, right? It's not like, run out to the road and run back. That's a simple kind of command. Behold the glory of Jesus. That's harder to know how to do. And it's like Grace is saying, it's not as like 2 plus 2 equals 4, make it happen kind of thing. So if, if those are things that you're like, I hear what you're saying, I don't know how to do that. Now let me just ask this. Would you come and talk to me? And I would love to meet with you and actually teach you how to do that. I'm learning how to do it myself. But we need to be discipled, and that is at the heart of it. How do I behold the glory of Jesus? You need somebody in your life who's like, okay, let's talk about how to do that, and let's practice that. Make sense? Will you do that? Okay, let me close this now. One more? Yeah, Greg. The key... Hutch, I think, is that um, you don't have to be there already. Mm-hmm. You just yeah. said it. I'm learning how to do this, and yes. because of that, I'm going to. Yeah. But God's calling on our life is, as we learn, is to grab someone else around us yes. and learn the same things. And yeah. so, for me, it's a... Uh, I, I, we can't be perfect at this. We're always going to be growing. We're always going to be finding ways to yes. understand the glory of God and, and who Jesus is in us. That doesn't mean the work stops. You're yeah. going to have to continue to, to... And I think a lot of times brokenness is where real discipleship happens. Yes. You leading out of your own life. <laughs> Lead with, here's where I'm failing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which is a demonstration of the gospel. I'm so glad you said that, Greg. That's a very important thing to be said in light of what we're talking about, because I think a lot of us think, disciple of the people, I'm not anywhere good enough or advanced enough to disciple other people. And I would say, that's not what a disciple is. It's not someone who's the expert and have it all together. I love Paul Tripp's um, definition of it. We are people in need of change, helping people in need of change. I think that's all of us there. We all fall in that category. So let me close this in prayer. Musicians, you guys go and come up. Lord Jesus, we want to behold your glory. We, we want to see just the beauty and the wonder and the significance of who you are and what you've done. We want our hearts to be captured by you more than all of these other things that take up our lives and that we chase after. By the power of your Spirit, would you help us just to seek your face? You say that over and over and over in Scripture. More than anything else, that's what we need. We just need to be people constantly seeking your face. Would you help us to do that? That we would be changed and you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.